Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Who or what was Spring-Heeled Jack? Have there been sightings in modern times? And from someone of my age, I might ask, what the hey is a steampunk hero? Hi there, and welcome to the 714th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Uh, and those questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my father. We are here on ON1240 Radio celebrating 70 years of broadcasting in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Well, today we bring you a subject that fascinates both of us, but that many people never heard of. And we welcome your calls as well. It's 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. Uh, although, when you do call in, just tell Ben what your question is, and we'll relay it. We have a special connection for the overseas guest today, and uh, he really can't hear the callers. Anyway, if you'd like to send an email, it's paul at behindtheparanormal.com. And uh, coming to us via Skype is uh, John Matthews, a British folklorist who has uh, made a lifelong study of the legends of uh, King Arthur, the Celtic, uh, the Celtic tradition, and even the history of pirates. And uh, he has uh, been a consultant on several big-budget movies um, that are a, uh, and is also an award-winning author of more than 100 books, including The Mystery of the Spring-Heeled Jack from Victorian Legend to Steampunk Hero, which we will discuss today. John Matthews, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Hello there, good to be here. Oh, well, it's uh, great to have you. So I, I hope you can hear me from way over here. Uh, um, just, uh, yeah, I'm straining my ears, but you're making good sound. All right, well, okay. let me just make a quick adjustment okay. by, by, by uh, do, doing this. So um, so let's, let's start from a, a, very, a very basic standpoint, or, you know, a very basic question, which is not super basic. Uh, so who or what was Springheel Jack, and what time period are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about a period uh, between 1838 and 1904. Um, so it's late 19th and early 20th century, uh, but then um, there have been recorded sightings since then. Um, and in fact, we have some new discoveries, which I'll tell you about in a minute, that take it back even further to 1677. So, um, let me tell you then who Springheel Jack was, um, exactly what he was or who he was, remains, in fact, a mystery. But the story is that this character appeared suddenly um, in London and around the London area in 1838, and reports began to appear in the newspapers of a strange and mysterious figure who leapt very high over walls, climbed houses, uh, leapt out from behind high hedges, he was fierce and strange in appearance. He had claw-like hands, staring, glowing eyes. Fire came from his mouth, and his favorite trick was to attack young ladies. He never actually did anything terrible. He never killed anyone, but he did attack people, and he ripped their clothes, and he scratched them, and he disappeared then with a, a fantastic laugh. A fantastic laugh. Well, that sounds... A quite uh, likely to get him into the newspapers. How many witnesses reported seeing him? Well, between January the 9th and February, March um, of um, uh, 1838, about 200 people wrote into the various newspapers, like the Times, 
uh, reporting this mysterious figure. And most of the sightings that we can show on the map, and there's a map in my book, um, took place around the outskirts of London, particularly in the sort of darker areas like the East End, um, but at the same time also in the more upmarket areas over in Kensington and Hammersmith, uh, more to the north of, of London. So really it was pretty much widespread. Okay. Well, your book is really masterful, and, that, and I'm a book editor, among other things, so that's I don't give compliments easily. Uh, it's very complete. You cite many, many news sources and press clippings. And I'm wondering, though, there are a number of references in these sources to him, uh, Springheel Jack, as a, as a ghost or dressed in white, as a poltergeist, and, and perhaps even even an alien reference. What? Uh, why so many different impressions? I think uh, well, we've got two. There, there are two halves to the answer here. Um, one is that, on the one hand, a lot of the people who first reported him. Uh, reported a very similar character. As I said, he always had the cloak, he had the, the, the clawed hands, the staring eyes, the fire coming out of the mouth, etc. Um, but then as time passed, people began to say, well, what is he? And then the answers came thick and fast. So he was a fairy, he was a ghost, he was an alien. That didn't happen until more in the 50s. No. Uh, but at various times, people have, have, have had their own shot at... Um, who he might have been and, and what he might have been up to. But nobody's really come up with an answer. What's your explanation? My explanation is that I believe that he is um, like a, a memory, a folk memory from much earlier times. If you look, trace him back as I've done in my book, you can trace figures of a similar kind that go right back to the Middle Ages and beyond. Um, and they do indeed have you know, connections with fairyland, and they do have connections with uh, the devil and with ghosts, spirits, and hauntings that took place in those times. So how do you draw a connection between the folk belief, or the archetype, if you will, and the actual figure people reported seeing? Well, simply because of the, of the description itself. Um, the more you look at these, the more you see certain elements that are present in much earlier stories. Um, one of the one of the inter most interesting things I discovered when I was working on the book was um, in a little pamphlet that's contained in the Nuremberg Toy Museum in Germany. Uh, it's a pamphlet that was never reprinted anywhere else, and as far as I know, no one else has ever even looked at it. But when I looked at it, I that there were references going right back to uh, the 16th century and even possibly earlier um, of people who created uh, a series of. Well, originally they were kind of toys for adults, but later they became very familiar toys for children, and these are the jack-in-the-boxes. Ah. Now, I'm sure you've heard of these, and I don't know if anybody out there in the States still still knows what these are even, or if they're even made anymore. Uh, they are still in England, certainly. Yes. Um, but basically it's a toy, you know, you open the box and something springs out and makes a loud noise and supposedly frightens you. And they all had very strange and very mysterious faces, and when you look at these, you see <coughs> that um, they really closely resemble the later descriptions of Springheel Jack. Are there accounts from multiple witnesses, or is it always a single witness seeing this, this figure? Um, it's usually one, but sometimes two or three together. I mean, 
There's a particularly famous one that took place on the 20th of February, 1838, in, uh, <coughs> excuse me, a place called Old Ford, which is in the, the north of London. Uh, and this was a lady called Mary Alsop, who was walking home with two companions, um, when this figure leapt over the hedge, it was a very high hedge, and he leapt over with apparent ease, um, frightened the life out of them. The woman was later, you know, almost hospitalized, so traumatized was she, um, and her friends likewise. And uh, he kind of leapt on her, seized her, um, mm. dragged her, his claw-like hands down her bro- bosom, and, uh, and then rushed off, as I say, with this demonic laugh. So it was all very dramatic. But although some people at the time, obviously, did the usual thing that they did in those days, if women complained about anything, oh, they're just hysterical. But there were too many reports that were the same, and Mary Alsop herself was a very down-to-earth teacher. So she wasn't someone who you'd expect to make anything up or have sudden shocking revelations in this way. Some of these incidents, as you relate them in the book, have copycat written all over them. What's your feeling on that? Oh, yes, definitely. I think there were several people dressed up, dressing up as Spring-Heeled Jack. Um, what's unusual is the fact that some of them seem to have been able to achieve the same mysterious abilities, such as the leaping. <coughs> I'm sorry about this. Right. Um You know, even though they obviously were not the same person. I mean, a number of people were arrested... Uh, someone called James Priest was arrested in the same year that um, uh, that, that Jack first appeared, 1838. Uh, he was released because no one could then, you know, uh, say what who what he'd been doing at the time. Another man called Daniel Granville was dressed as Jack and was arrested while in costume and later released when he admitted that he'd just been copying this uh, sensational figure. Huh. So very were were sort of pulled together but uh, but he was never really caught no one that could be proven to be jack was ever caught one wonders if uh, the person was arrested what was the charge oh well i think the charge in the case of daniel granville was that this was springhill jack i mean there were you you have to imagine that at this time when there was not a very dedicated police force in london um, that numbers of people would gather together, you know, little sort of tr- troops of people would, would gather with cudgels and blunderbusses and that kind of thing, and they'd wander through the streets hunting for Spring-Heeled Jack. And very occasionally they would find some poor individual who looked a bit strange or was behaving badly or maybe was drunk, and they'd, they'd grab him, you know, and take him before the magistrate and say, this is Spring-Heeled Jack, we've caught him. <coughs> and the story would go around like wildfire saying we've caught Spring-Heeled Jack. But it was always proved in the end that the person had an alibi <laughs> or that they were just simple or something. So there was never any 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 conviction. That's a good point, though. The, the London Met- the Metropolitan Police, as we know it, know them today, date essentially from the 1840s. Is that correct? That's right, yes. There was, it was still... There were some very early kind of... Um, groups of what later became the, 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 you know, the normal Metropolitan Police, but um, they were still not very well organized. Um, I mean, there is a story which I rather love, and I don't know for sure whether this is true or not, because I couldn't find an exact source for it, but I put it in the book anyway, because it's such a great idea, 
and this was that the Duke of Wellington, who was by then in his late 70s, the great hero of the Peninsular War, mm. of the, the victor of Trafalgar, not, not Trafalgar, uh, Waterloo, um, actually organized a search for spring Jack. He came out of retirement, he came along on his horse, he gathered some people around him, and they rode through the streets of London looking for spring Jack. Oh, I never knew they, that. And, and he's the one on top of the column uh, in front of Canada House, right? That's right. Yeah. Yes, indeed. They never found Spring Hill Jack. And, um, you know, uh, it's interesting that this character melts away when you look too hard. Um, and I'm quite sure that there were people who were doing copycats indeed. One of the most interesting things is that many years after this, another um, much more terrifying figure... Um, uh, you know the the the, the mass murderer uh, um, came along. Over. Yes, you anticipated my question. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, there you are. Well, he came along, and actually, among the letters that he wrote to um, Inspector Abilene of Scotland Yard uh, was one in which he signed himself Springheel Jack. Now, this was at nearly a hundred years later, so it obviously wasn't the same person. Unless, of course, those who think he was a ghost or a spirit uh, or an alien were are, are right, mm-hmm. in which case he could be the same one. But in the ordinary world, anyway, um, it couldn't be. But it's interesting that even uh, even he saw um, himself somehow as following uh, following on from you know from Jack. Well, certainly one can see the archetypal connections and, and, and effects here. One of the oddest stories in the book, John, is uh, Jack and Farmer Brown, where, where apparently a, a legal document was executed. Can you talk about that for a bit? Um, yes, this is, this, <laughs> this is where the, someone actually did um, uh, claim make a claim um, on, on his insurance, if I remember correctly. Um, that his, you know, he'd been attacked and that his his property had been damaged. Um, That's right. You know, by this mysterious character. So he tried to claim and, and had an official document made out against him. All right, there we are. Well, again, that's in the book, and we'll give you a chance to talk about the book after the break. Uh, sure. How do you account for... All right, uh, people are seeing something very strange, a strange character figure, etc., and perhaps are interpreting it according to archetypal memory. And But how do you account for people seeing him leap over walls and things, you know, bringing him the name Springheel Jack? Uh, and also the uh, the spitting of blue fire, I understand, was attributed to him as well. But how do you account for those two uh, apparently paranormal or odd factors? Well, I mean, again, there, there are lots of different answers to this in a way. I mean, it depends a lot on your point of view. I mean, for me, I think it was a very clever uh, illusion. Um, there are even accounts of uh, uh, stage magicians of this time being able to produce the effect of someone leaping high or floating through the air, hmm. literally with the use of mirrors. You know, we all, you know, they always say it was all done by mirrors. Yes. Well, sometimes it was. <laughs> and there is there is one story of a man who was able with a lantern and a mirror to um, simply to reproduce the the effect of someone apparently leaping high into the air over a fence and disappearing um, without actually there being anyone there at all. There was simply someone behind a hedge. What was being done was the equivalent of a, a film being shown uh, on the clouds, as you might today in a, as a special effect in a movie. Hmm. Very very early special effect. 
um, but it was quite widely reported at the time, and of course a lot of people said, oh, well, that's how he does it, so in fact, it's a fake. And then, a few days later, he would be back again, another mysterious attack, um, you know, one um, elderly woman died of a heart attack because um, she looked out of the window, apparently, and saw this figure who was leaping into the air as high as the window, and she was on the second floor. So um, <laughs> afterwards, you know, people said, oh, she died. She didn't die immediately, but very soon afterwards. Yes. And uh, So he was kind of blamed for that, but that's the only instance that I know of of actually causing any bodily harm, as it were. Huh, and, and, and that indirectly, of course. Can you Indirectly. Yes. Can you relate a few uh, other uh, anecdotes for, uh, or reports that appeared in, in the press at this time um, th that would perhaps illustrate the, uh, the, the romance of Spring Hill Jack? Sure. Um, well, I mean, let me tell you, let me share with you one of the discoveries that was actually made by a colleague of mine, Mike Dash, whose own work on this uh, subject has been goes back years. Um, after I'd written the book, um, he wrote to tell me about a, a, um, a report that he'd found in a, a pamphlet published in 1677. And this is what it says, just very quickly. The Wonder of Suffolk, being a true relation of one that reports he made a league with the devil for three years to do mischief, and now breaks open homes, robs people daily, destroys cattle before the owner's faces, strips women naked, etc., and can neither be shot nor taken, but leaps over walls fifteen foot high, runs five or six miles in a quarter of an hour, and sometimes vanishes in the midst of multitudes that go to take him. This is exactly the same kind of report um, that was being ma was made all over the place, um, you know, at, at, in, in the newspapers like the Times would, would describe these things. And this um, is a good 150 years before the London outbreak. Exactly. I didn't know about any of this when I wrote the book, or I would have put it in there. Yeah, I didn't and know about it either. When we do the revised edition, I'll put it in, but it's a fascinating discovery, and uh, yes. there's more, no, more deep reports on this later as well. Uh, which tell more about it, but he seems to have been something of a cattle rustler rather than an attacker. Huh. Um, whereas ours, our more familiar Spring Hill Jack is definitely much more, uh, much more of a, of a, of a straight-on attacker. <coughs> now, for those who um, don't, uh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, John. No, I was only going to say, um, just randomly looking in the book here, uh, May 11th, 1840, from the Examiner. During the past week, much alarm has pervaded the neighbourhood of Kings Road, Camden Town, and caused as much terror in the minds of the female population of the inhabitants as did the pranks and, and gambles of Spring Hill Jack on his first appearance about three years hence. Indeed, they are afraid to leave their houses after nightfall. The cause of all this failure on the part of the females is a tall man or brute enclosed in a dark blue cloak the glasses of the colour of a dark colour of his eyes which give him the most awful appearance and as soon as the night comes he patrols the road on the appearance of any male he darts into a doorway and hides here he will remain until he sees a female when he suddenly jumps from his hiding place and assaults his hapless victim in a most shameful manner so that's a very typical kind of report from that time. That sounds Even like the um, the cashier at the uh, donut shop I stopped at yesterday in Haverhill, Massachusetts, uh, right. where apparently Halloween is being celebrated early, and they were all dressed up, uh, some sort of uh, 
these various zombies on the streets. And uh, however, I didn't see anyone leaping over any walls. I must say. Uh, maybe we go back a bit, John, to the the Suffolk incident of 1677. Do you remember, or, or do you know where in Suffolk that took place? I'll tell you why I ask in a minute. Um, I believe it was. Uh, let me. I'm just looking very quickly at this because I said I haven't really studied all of this in depth yet. Um, the report here uh, talks about the border of Suffolk. So, I mean, mm. that could be almost anywhere. They're rather imprecise. Yes. So, Suffolk, mm. for those who don't know, was in eastern England, uh, bordering the North Sea and uh, the towns like Norwich and things. Uh, but it's also the location of Rendlesham Forest, where the famous UFO incidents of 1980 occurred, and which is one of our uh, what we refer to as a flap area cases that we've been working on really since 2012. And speaking with many local people whom many investigators don't bother to speak with, uh, who were reporting similar phenomena to this day. And when we were there ourselves, there were odd things going on. So it, it does seem to be an area where a number of oddities do occur. And uh, we were I was just wondering whether it was uh, in Norwich or, or you mentioned cattle rustling. That's obviously rural, so perhaps... Uh, May or may not have been near Rendlesham Forest. Suffolk isn't isn't that big compared with the American uh, bigger. Well, he, men he mentions High Suffolk, um, and that apparently is considered to be the country along the Norfolk border, the border between. Oh, okay. Suffolk, uh, consisting of the high plateau of chalk and clay, oh, so it's not right. the forest. Um, but it's interesting that 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 does come up again. Um, hmm. You know, in the UFO files. Um, because, of course, in the 50s, John Keel wrote a very famous oh. article in which he claimed that this Spring Hill Jack character was an alien, and his main argument was the, his ability to leap over high fences, wait for it, was because he came from a planet with different gravity. <laughs> Where have we heard that <laughs> I wasn't aware John had written anything of that kind. That, that, that's a real revelation. Yeah, not me either, oh, actually. Yeah. Yes, John Keel, well, author of the Mothman Prophecies, uh, made into a yeah, film in twenty. Well, I mean, there are yeah. parallels between that too, in in some ways. But you'll find if you look in um, in the, the bibliography at the back of my book uh, that the, I think I mentioned. I think I've got it listed in there. I'm just looking. Yes. Um, well, he mentions it in the Mothman Prophecies, but he also wrote an article for the Ufologist um, round about that time, fifty two, fifty three, something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, all about Springheel Jack, and uh, you know he made the parallel obviously with the kind of Superman image of uh, someone who was able to move so easily and leap through the air because he was used to being on somewhere with a much heavier gravity. Certainly. Well, there we are. All right. Well, uh, the uh, the idea of uh, what we might call crossover phenomena figures in, in our work, and I know that the, the Springheel Jack case is at least from the Victorian era in England is probably the mother of all cold cases. However, uh, has anyone, to your knowledge, or have you, John, uh, ever uncovered other phenomena that may have been going on at the time, you know, strange lights in the sky, uh, an increase in ghost reports? I mean, this would take a lot of work, and probably no one has done that, but th that's something that we... Um, I mean, are you aware of anyone having drawn any parallels to other phenomena occurring at the time? Um, not really, no. I, I certainly haven't had any opportunity to look that deeply into it. But we do have to consider that the time in which this, these began to happen uh, in, in, in the Victorian era, uh, interest in ghosts and paranormal phenomena was enormously huge. Hmm. I mean, bigger than, than any other time until the present. 
and people were looking for that all the time. There were spiritualists everywhere who were, you know, setting up uh, huge um, seances in which dozens and dozens of people, sometimes hundreds of people, would attend and pay money to watch. Yes. And produce ectoplasm, and they would call upon call up the spirits. So it's not that it's the same thing. It's just that there's that attitude to the extraordinary, if you like, that yes. was absolutely at its height at the time. So I think, again, you know, the, uh, some of the very early reactions to the first reports in the newspapers, you know, said, oh, he's a ghost, um, oh, I've seen him, he's dressed in white and he looks like a ghost to me, you know, but most people agreed that the, the form-fitting black clothes, the cloak, the glowing eyes, spitting fire from the mouth this could have been done again um with uh, uh you know trickery uh, mm -hmm. because there are ways to produce this effect apparently so um so it's not a question of anybody really uh, zeroing in on this as a sort of one phenomenon among many uh, it's simply a time when for instance all these penny dreadful uh, stories were being written yes uh, you, you, um, if anyone out there has, has seen the uh, the TV series Penny Dreadful, they'll know what I mean. But they're all based on the most shocking possible stories, badly written, um, you know, ripped off um, and literally sold at the crossroads for a penny. Uh, always with very dramatic illustrations, always about, usually with ladies being having their clothes ripped off. Um, you know, a real prurient uh, fascination with those kind of attacking. Indeed. Well, we're going to take our bottom of the hour break, and we'll be right back with our fascinating guest here on Behind the Paranormal, John Matthews, whom we suspect really is Springfield, uh, Springfield? Spring-Heeled Jack. And uh, we'll be right back on Behind the Paranormal here on on twelve forty, celebrating 70 years of broadcasting here in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Stick with us. It's your business. The health of our economy, the strength of our businesses affects every individual, every family. I'm Frank Prisons. Each Thursday, we'll visit with leaders to discuss important business and economic issues. Join me Thursdays at 4 p.m. on WOON. It's your business because it is. Okay, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Uh, we will tell you about some various charities, uh, U.S. and Canadian charities we have adopted on the show uh, in our announcement period. But right now, let's get back to our discussion about the, the, the very odd Victorian phenomena of spring, phenomenon of spring-heeled Jack, speaking with uh, our guest, John Matthews. Now, John... Uh, we uh, seem to have lost him. Oh, way. did we? So please do me a favor and call him back, because I cannot see your computer okay. screen. <laughs> All right. Yeah, these, it is. Uh, it is very dark. So I mean, and uh, we'll we'll uh, have him back on the line with us in in just a tick. So you yes. know how these these overseas calls go. Yes, indeed. Uh, one thinks oh, that. I don't know what happened there. You just disappeared. Oh, sorry about that, John. But well, we're back and uh, from our break, okay. and we were, we were just saying that um, we suspect that you yourself may be Springfield, uh, Spring uh, Springfield Jack. I keep saying Springfield. Uh, however, I'm not going to comment on that. And if you can't get it right, I can. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we were going to, at this point, uh, give you a chance to discuss your book, uh, your website, where people can find out more about you. Oh, sure. Okay, well, the book is, uh, the book is called The Mystery of spring Hill Jack, From Victorian Legend to Steampunk Hero, uh, by myself. It's published by Destiny Books um, in the States. Uh, you can get it, as they say, from all good bookstores, from Amazon, 
or if you want a signed copy, you can get it directly from me at HalloQuest, that's H-A-L-L-O-W-Q-U-E-S-T dot org dot U-K. So that's where you get it from. Very good. Uh, just to finish up, our uh, tie up, I guess, a, a nod in our previous discussion uh, before the break, uh, it seems that there's no real indication that Spring Hill Jack was actually a paranormal phenomenon, although one never knows uh, which aspect of it or wh- which particular figure might have been a little odd that way. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, it certainly took a great deal of, um, I guess, I suppose, uh, w- what's the, the Yiddish term, chutzpah and, and things of this kind to, to work up uh, this sort of thing. And, but one wonders about the cultural background of the entire phenomenon uh, in the sense of uh, people think of the Victorian era particularly as being uh, particularly repressed and uh, people perhaps needed some form of expression and perhaps the most creative, uh, perhaps magicians or whoever may, may have, have done this. Uh, do we have any, uh, in that vein, do we have any particular names of anyone who, whom you suspect uh, was one of the spring Jack figures or the figure himself? Well, I mean, uh, the the evidence uh, pointed at one point to a man called Henry de la Poer, who was the third Marquis of Waterford, um, who sounds as though he was a bit of a prankster. Um, he had slightly bulbous eyes and a maniacal laugh. And for that reason alone, as far as I can tell, um, a lot of people thought that this was the original spring Jack. Hmm. And he was arrested at one point, um, but nothing was ever proved. And I feel myself that... There isn't really anything in that. Um, one of the things that I find most fascinating about this character is the fact that he was never caught. That, no, that although he appeared in many places, and after 1904 seems to have moved to the U.S., um, there's never really been any, any, any sign of him being caught, uh, being brought to book in any way. Um, just lots and lots of reports of more sightings. And these go right into the present, I might add. Well, indeed. As a matter of fact, you have made the perfect transition into some questions we've received from listeners. And uh, and we'd like to hear about, obviously, his move to North America as well. But first, we have one from Chrissy, uh, who may be from Canada, because she's asking a question in that vein. And Ben, if you would be so kind. So Chrissy from Maybe Canada writes to us, uh, there there are cases of similar characters described by um, a police officer, Otto Kelland, in St. John's, uh, Newfoundland. Yeah, that's, uh, that's not a question. It's simply it's a, a comment. Well, it's a statement. <laughs> it's, it's a statement. Uh, have you heard of that? And, and uh, perhaps even as background, uh, when did uh, Springfield Jack move to uh, America? Um, I haven't heard of any of the, anything in Canada. That's one, one of the places that, as far to, to, to my knowledge, we haven't seen anything. The, the first sighting in America was at somewhere called Everton um, in 1904. Uh, I'm, I can't quite remember where Everton is. You can probably tell me. Well, not um, really. It's a big country. There, there <laughs> well, no, of course you know every street Everton. name, don't you? Yes, of course. Um, <laughs> and he appeared several times to someone called uh, oh, in 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 a in a street called William Henry Street, um, and he was sighted by a number of people who were sitting out on their porches in the evening, taking the air, and they saw this strange figure leaping across the road climbing the side of the, of the house and disappearing <laughs> over the rooftops. Hmm. That seems to have been the earliest ones in, in the U.S. Uh, and then during the war, during 1940 to 1945, Second World War, um, various characters uh, sh- started showing up in Prague, 
where he was referred to there as the spring man hmm. again for the same reason because he had this ability to leap over tall buildings does sound like Superman, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It does. Um, <laughs> then again, 1945, uh, in round about October, December, in Provincetown, Cape Cod, Massachusetts, ah. um, he was sighted leaping over buildings. Again, people would say, you know, perfectly ordinary, everyday people who were not given to exaggeration or uh, or strange claims would would say that, you know, they'd just been walking up the street and this figure had raced past them, leapt over the over the, the, the high wall, climbed a building, disappeared over the rooftops several times. Well, so, you know. Well, John, uh, your, your amazing uh, psychic abilities uh, come forth once more. Again, you, you triumph over me. And, th- then and the, the, the next question <laughs> is from Lee in Newport, Rhode Island. And uh, Lee writes to us, Have you heard about the uh, Black Flash incident on uh, Cape Cod, Massachusetts? Uh, mirror, uh, it mirrors Jack very closely. In uh, 1938 in Provincetown, uh, he was also called the Phantom Fiend and Eight Ball Charlie. Yeah, so obviously you, you've heard of the, the case, but uh, the names, I like Eight Ball Charlie. <laughs> no, I'd not, <laughs> the f- I don't, I've not come across either of those, to The be Phantom Fiend, hmm. Phantom Fiend sounds likely. There was one in Baltimore in Maryland in 51 called the Phantom, ah. um, who was at a place called O'Donnell Heights, and again, once again, leaping over the fences. And this, of course, is about the time when all the UFO stuff began to come on. Um, mm. And he was described in, uh, a couple of years later, he appeared in Houston, Texas, where he was called the Batman Huh. And I've always wondered, because if you look at some of the pictures in my book, you'll see that many of the early Victorian portrayals of Springheel Jack show him with bat-like wings and ears. And I'm wondering if the creator of Batman, um, Bob Kane, ever saw this and was inspired. That's actually a very interesting question. And um, our, as, our, as our audience well knows, we are very into the idea of this pan-paranormal theory that, you know, if... If one thing is going on, then it you know, usually it leads to other things. Like, for example, in uh, Point Pleasant, West Virginia, uh, the whole Mothman uh, phenomenon took off. But also at the same time, there was there were a lot of reports of heightened psychic activity, U- UFOs flying around all over the place, men in black, and all sorts of other phenomena that were going on simultaneously. So have you seen any sort of instances of other phenomena going on simultaneously with Spring-Heeled Jack? In the more modern context. Yes. Not particularly. I mean, it's it, it, there is, as I said, one of the things that is particularly fascinating about this is the the similarity that all of the descriptions and uh, encounters that people have. You know, it's not like it's just a little bit like that. It's exactly like that. It's the same kind of, you know, thin spidery figure in black with the claw-like hands and the rest of it, um, wherever you find it. Um, and it doesn't seem to tie in particularly with anything else that I've been aware of anyway. I mean, there may well be uh, folks there, you know, who who would be able to put two and two together. Um, but I haven't really seen anything like that. I've, as I say, happenings are still being reported today mm-hmm. in England anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, before I'd like to get to that, but before we do, uh, I'm glad Brent, Ben brought up the... I'll be all right. No Brent. more peanut butter <laughs> for breakfast for me. Uh, I'm glad Ben brought up the issue of Mothman, of course, which of course John Keel wrote extensively about. He was sort of at the center of that in the ni- early 19, uh, <clears throat> mid 1960s, and um, uh, the Mothman when the Mothman case uh, that took off, as Ben said, I like that. I see uh, what you did there, Ben. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they were going to call this figure Batman, 
but <laughs> when the uh, of course at the time the the, uh, the com I guess the the television series Batman with Adam West was just beginning and they were afraid of a giant lawsuit so they yeah. uh, they settled on Mothman instead uh, but the, many of the descriptions of at least of the activities if not if not the, the physical nature um, seem to always remind me of Spring Hill Jack and when you mentioned that several uh, sightings of, of a creature I guess people thought was Spring Hill Jack had bat wings I mean, you have Mothman there, probably. So, what, what say you on that? Well, absolutely. I mean, there's a, there's a very famous statue. You you may know of it at uh, Point Pleasant Park, in West oh, Virginia, yes. yeah. um, of the Mothman. And I mean, I've got a picture of it in the book. And um, our book too. <laughs> the, the parallel is is quite interesting. You know, it's not exactly the same, but if you look back at some of the uh, illustrations from the Victorian Penny Dreadfuls. Um, you'll definitely see there's a very famous one uh, it was actually a penny dreadful called spring jack a mystery of mysteries and there he is leaping over a tombstone three people you know sort of recoiling in fear and there he is he's holding his arms up he's got bat wings and and back bat horns and a mask that looks remarkably similar to me uh, to the one later worn by batman oh i see yeah and certainly to, to the figure in point pleasant uh Witnesses have t- to the Mothman phenomenon have told us that that statue in Point Pleasant, with the exception of the holes in the wings, really looks very similar to uh, what they they saw. So it's, yeah. it's considered a very good rendition. Well, I mean, I think that, 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 that by this point in time, I mean, obviously the the connection has got very thin by now mm. uh, because so much time has passed. But the interesting thing to me was that when I started looking at the reports of these later sightings, at some point somebody would always say, this is like spring Jack. It's as though that, that memory was so deeply buried in people that when something else came along, they would see it. You know, we have these... You know, this very recent and, and rather horrible story of the thin man. Um, you know, I'm sure you know about this, the yeah. young girl who who, um, uh, who killed one of her friends and, and claimed that the thin man had told her to do it. Mm-hmm. And the thin man was invented by someone for an online game. But he happens to look very much like spring Jack in description. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it may be stretching it to say that there's a connection between the two, but there's something in the human consciousness that seems to come to life when you, uh, you know, as soon as you begin to describe these things. Well, once again, uh, John, you lead into my next question, and yeah. that is the, the cultural and historical context in which people see these things. Uh, one of our contentions is that in, in anything strange, particularly paranormal phenomena, people will apply their own uh, n- memories, whether even if they're buried memories, our own cultural mm. and, and uh, folklore uh, Conceptions, as we often say, that myth and folklore are the vessels of the memory of the human race, and that something happened that is buried in our memory, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, so that the the context in which someone sees something will determine what label they put on it. Uh, for example, if you see a, a wispy figure floating through your living room, aha, a ghost, or if you see it in an open field with perhaps a ball of light over, aha, maybe an alien or UFO, and it may mm-hmm. be nothing, maybe neither one. So, uh, in this context of the Springheel Jack uh, business, uh, regardless of the point in history in which the incident occurs, uh, how much of a factor, and you've already said that, that we've already talked about this a little, how much of a factor um, goes into putting the label 
Spring Hill Jack or something similar or, you know, uh, Eight Ball Charlie or whatever on these things when they may be something entirely different or just someone playing a prank? Well, I'm, I think that one, I mean, one of the things that uh, I can tell you about here was um, some of the sightings of Spring Hill Jack that took place a little later than the Victorian ones at the beginning of the 20th century took place in Sheffield, the city in, to, in, the, in the Midlands of Britain. Um, and um, I went up there to do a radio show, and uh, I was talking to uh, the producer beforehand, and he said, "Oh, have you seen this?" And showed me a report from, uh, you know, from a, a local uh, newsman um, who had recalled something that his grandmother had told him. That was a description that was perfectly fitted uh, with the Springhill Jack associations. And he said most of this took place at this graveyard, and he named the graveyard. And I said, well, that's fantastic. Is it still there? And he said, look out of the window. It's just up there. And in fact, on there was a hill overlooking the, the studio, and there was the graveyard. And that was exactly where people had seen this character, who hmm. the grandmother very quickly associated with spring Jack from stories that she'd heard as a child. So it carries on. You know, yes, and it indeed. seems as though whenever whenever there's another figure like this that comes along, someone will say at some point, "That's just like Springhill Jack." And once they've said that, then of course everyone else says, "Oh well, it is Springhill Jack." <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think it, it might be just that simple. Uh, I just can't help notice the parallel between the uh, what is believed to be the and is not well known believed to be the, the probably the first. Uh, encounter with Mothman, which happened about a week before what people think was the first one, which was the two couples in the car in West Virginia uh, encountering mm. the figure in the road. Um, there were men working in a cemetery uh, digging a grave, three men, and they, they, they saw a very strange human-like figure with bat-like wings fly from right over them from one tree to another. And uh, that that is sort of an interesting point, I think, to, to uh, an extent, but also it raises the question, was uh, are you aware of any instances in which uh, Spring Hill Jack or what was the label Spring Hill Jack uh, was placed upon the figure uh, actually flying or is it just jumping? Well, it's a it's a moot point, really. I mean, certainly he is seen to, uh, for instance, in that that sighting um, that I mentioned um, in uh, in in Provincetown, Cape Cod. Um, you know, he was leaping from one side of the road to the other. Um, now, I haven't been there to see how wide the road was, but assuming it's a normal one, then that's going from a housetop to a housetop yes. across a road. Now, that might be just a long jump, uh, or it could be seen as flying. And certainly this character particularly was mentioned as having wings. Hmm. So it does seem as though um, the, the winged aspect, shall we say, is very like that. Okay. But, you know, there was one of the more recent um, stories uh, from 1986, um, here in uh, South Herefordshire, uh, there was a travelling salesman uh, was making his way home in his car, and uh, it was probably a, quite an old-fashioned and slow car, but it was still moving. And while he was driving along, he suddenly was aware of the fact that someone had not only overtaken him on foot, but run past him. Hmm. And in fact, overtaken him, ran down the road, and disappeared, leaping high over a wall. <laughs> So there's a report. Maybe he'd had a bit too much to drink that day. I don't know. But, um, you know, and as I said, even today, uh, in fact, a friend of mine was driving home uh, only a few months ago uh, towards the little town of Tame in Oxfordshire, 
and uh, they said there were two of them in the car and they both saw something that looked like a figure leaping across the road at a particular place that's known to be a bit haunted um, so you know they immediately said to me do you think it's Spring Hill Jack you know so instantly yeah. that reaction came to mind yes it's too bad Ben we we were we drove through there in 2012 it's too bad we weren't aware of this yeah I know right yeah, didn't see well anything. next time maybe I'll see what I can arrange so see what you're going to arrange yes by all means indeed uh, so uh, other, th- other than what you said John are, are there any uh, m- sort of uh, recent occurrences in America that you're aware of uh, I haven't heard of anything anything uh, beyond, um, I think, 1953 was the last time that I heard of anything. Okay. Um, from, from there, uh, certainly I, I searched the newspapers and couldn't find anything. Um, the most recent one here was 2012, um, apart from the one I just mentioned of my friend. Uh, it was a family who were driving home from a place called Ewell, which is near Epsom, where the race course is here. Yes. And it was, this was the whole family in the car, and they were driving along, and they they actually put the brakes on because they saw this strange figure in front of them in the road, which then ran off and leapt high into the branches of a tree and disappeared. And once again, he had the tight black costume, the staring eyes, um, the bat-like um, wings and, and horns, course he had horns at some point as well so of course there's lots of associations in the earlier stories with the devil too Mm -hmm. when we go back to the folklore stuff um you know so there's a lot of interesting parallels there i mean i i don't pretend to have solved the mystery of who spring hill jack might have been i think he was probably one or several people at the time but i do think that he was echoing and maybe drawing upon much older traditions well, I think you're miles beyond any research we've seen from anyone else. But moving, just uh, we're running out of time, but moving beyond the English-speaking world, John, are you aware of similar phenomena, a similar figures, similar characters in uh, other cultures and other parts of the world, India, Africa? The only one I, the only one I found was the ones in Prague during the war uh, when we had this character whom they called the Spring Man, and he was really a, a, you know, he was a, um, a, a resistance fighter. You know, he would leap out at Germans and frighten them and try to attack them. And again, he was never caught. Um, but in other cultures, I haven't found anything that's, that's a close parallel, certainly. I mean, there are obviously mysterious shadowy figures in the, uh, you know, hiding in the undergrowth wherever you go once you <laughs> yes. start looking for them. But, uh, no, I haven't found anything as sophisticated as this, I suppose. You know, the, the Prague incident is very fascinating to me from a historical perspective as well because the Germans occupied Prague from 41 to 45. As a matter of fact, uh, while Berlin was being defeated, was being subdued by the Russians, Prague was still occupied uh, by the Germans. Yeah. And uh, they didn't put up with any baloney, you know. And for someone to be to, to carry on the sort of swashbuckling, um, semi-superhero uh, sort of existence is really fascinating. Uh, do you know any more about it? I mean, was he ever captured, shot, or um, he, he wasn't captured as far as I know. Um, there are some reports, uh, quite detailed ones, uh, that are all in, uh, not in English, so I haven't been able to read those, I'm afraid, but, mm. but I've had summaries uh, of them, and, um, they do seem to suggest this, uh, very, uh, striking and very brave character who very much was a real person, we all felt, mm-hmm. um, but who dressed in this, um, strange way, and had the ability to do the, the leaping. This is the thing that makes him stand out, I suppose. 
Um, I mean, I find it very interesting that um, a little bit, a little bit after this, um, in the uh, early 50s, um, someone actually uh, put a, a line of, of shoes on the market called Springheel Jack shoes, <laughs> <laughs> which actually did have springs in the heels. My goodness! Um, I think they were aimed mostly at children, but uh, it, it, it just goes to show that that you know, wherever there's a possibility. Uh, you know, to be made for twenty-two and sixpence, you could get Springheel Jack shoes. Oh, well, that's a wheeze. Well, it is indeed. Uh, so we're almost out of time, but please uh, tell us what is your next step in your research, and also give us your website and your book one more time. Uh, sure. Well, I mean, at the moment, I've gone back to researching the Grail stories, which um, was my first interest and, mm -hmm. and passion for many years. Mm. And I've, I'm, I'm writing a book at the moment called The Visit to the Grail Castle, um, which brings out some very uh, interesting new evidence that hasn't seen the light of day before. Um, and that will be coming out uh, from Llewellyn in uh, next uh, next year sometime. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the meantime, if anyone wants to get hold of The Mystery of Springheel Jack or any other of my many books, um, they can go to Hallowquest, that's H-A-L-L-O-W-Q-U-E-S-T dot org dot UK, and you'll find a full list of all my books there. Um, and you can order them from us. Um, if you don't want to pay vast postage, you can try Amazon, and you'll find most of them there as well. Indeed. Well, Ben, any uh, final points or questions? Well, um, I mean, this was an amazing conversation. I thought so. I, I, I enjoyed every minute of it, even though, John, you anticipated all of my questions. You have a, you have a career as a psychic ahead of you, I'm Indeed. Sure. Indeed. Yeah. Very good. Well, well I, I was thinking I should try and do the demonical laugh now so that you'd know it really was Springheel Jack talking. <laughs> well, I don't know if the, uh, probably federal, won't. the, the federal communications uh, commission would approve of that. But anyway, uh, John, but we'll be in touch off the air. I Indeed. think uh, we might be able to uh, assist each other in some ways. We can feed you information of anything we hear here, etc. So thank you well, so I'm much. I'm always interested. Very always good. interested in hearing new stuff. Thank you so much for being with us. We'll uh, talk thank to you soon. You're welcome. Good to be there. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. There are John Matthews, everyone. Really great conversation. Terrific book. That was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. So what do we got uh, cooking here, Ben? Well, on Saturday, October 28th, uh, we presented a to a great audience um, at the uh, Portsmouth Public Library in New Hampshire. The subject, what's really behind the paranormal in New Hampshire and beyond? And uh, many thanks to uh, uh, Stacy. Stacy, right? Yep. Stacy and the uh, library staff. It was a beautiful venue and a beautiful day. It was. A lot of great uh, folks. You know, people are so interested in the uh, question of the paranormal and, and its implications for God and religion. I, that's that's something uh, I mean, we, people were asking a lot about that. Indeed. So in any case, uh, after next week's show on Sunday, November 5th, Ben and I will Skype in to do a brief program during the fourth annual Treasure Coast Para-Unity Conference in Felsmere, Florida. And then on uh, Saturday, November 18th, my dad and I will do a charity event uh, at the Cottage by the Sea in Dover, New Hampshire, uh, to benefit the Miss Portsmouth Area Scholarship Program, and that is at uh, 5 to 8 p.m., and the uh, tickets are $20 per person, and uh, you'll get a buffet dinner along with a, a little speech to go along with your dinner <laughs> from us. Well, actually... Uh a little bit lo longer than that, but that's well, pretty classy a for a us, Ben, having a buffet dinner along with one of our programs. I know. I, I hope people don't yeah. spit out their dinner while listening to us. Well, or hopefully throw, not. Or throw food at us. Well, hopefully not. 
Uh, presumably, uh, that'll be the final event of the 2017 lecture season, by far the, lo- the most hectic we've ever had. But we're already being booked for events in 2018, so stay tuned for that. And uh, look at our website as well, BehindTheParanormal.com, for info. Indeed, and uh, we sell and autograph our books at these events, of course, including our latest, uh, released in July, Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You've Never Heard Of, and also available on Amazon.com and Amazon Kindle. And uh, if you uh, can't get one of, get to one of our events and you'd still like an autographed copy of any of our books, you can get them at the show's online bookstore at BehindTheParanormal.com. Now, our new, our second newest new book uh, from 2016, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, is in most bookstores. Uh, and if they don't have it, they can certainly get it. It's also available at all our forthcoming events uh, on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and other online retailers. And again, uh, you can get an autographed copy uh, of that or any of my previous books from Days of Yore at BehindTheParanormal.com, and uh, certainly we'll be happy to personalize them for you. Meanwhile, find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and more at BehindTheParanormal.com, where you'll also find... Uh, it's coming up on well over 730 free recorded shows from both ON 1240 here and our four and a half year run on CBS radio along with special shows and podcasts and they're all free. And our YouTube channel is uh, Behind the Paranormal uh, with Paul and Ben Eno, and we have a, a series on there of uh, case files, which we'll be expanding soon, and doing some other forms of content with some of our friends uh, from up, up, and, up and all over the place in uh, New Hampshire and all, all over the place, and we'll, we'll uh, make some fun little little content for you with with that. Yeah, we've got uh, a couple of major projects in mind for next year, perhaps on uh, uh, on location uh, shoots and uh, reports from areas of archaeological interest in New England here, and perhaps beyond. So stay tuned on that. We're, we're, we've got a lot of things uh, in the works. Indeed. Now you can find my other books, as I say, at Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, Barnes and Noble, Nook. Uh, and again, if you buy them directly behind the paranormal, we'll be happy to uh, autograph them for you. Uh, also on our website, you'll find direct links to several charities Ben and I have adopted, including usacares.org, uh, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, also Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, uh, Tony Larray out there doing terrific things for the young people of that city, and uh, at-risk youth, youthmentoring.org, also helpforhaiti.com, great charities. What do we got next week, Ben? So next Sunday, November uh, 5th, we'll welcome author uh, Nancy Dennison, who says she died in 1994 and learned some amazing things about the afterlife and returned voluntarily. Now, well, it, it seems as if we, we still have a, we have a little bit longer here. Well, that's why I'm going to say something else about Nancy uh, Dennison. Say, say something else. Uh, when this happened to her in 1994, she was a practicing attorney. So, you know, not somebody who just came out of the woodwork. So, I mean, I, I, we're interested in hearing her story about what, what happened and why she dropped her career in order to uh, uh, act upon what she believes she learned in the afterlife. We're going to have some pretty interesting questions about that. Oh, so, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited. Yeah. So, anyway, we'll leave you this afternoon with a thought-provoking thought from the great American author Ralph Waldo Emerson. For every minute you are angry, you lose 60 seconds of happiness. So, anyway, um, I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and we still have a couple couple seconds. Okay, here, I'm, so never, I'm never going to get this right. We're ten no, years on you're never, the air. You're, you're, you're never going to get it right. Yeah. But it's you know you're putting in effort, and uh, that is my father. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.